It's the next level. Warning. The following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, Primers, into this, our second of our summer episodes and our first of our annuals, that being Supergirl Annual Number 4 from the Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew cast of pods, I am Rob Martin. This is going to be an interesting series of weeks these next couple weeks because... um, it's always fun going back and, and revisiting some of these seasons, and I feel like this time around we're probably starting with the best. Yeah, we're going to work backwards this time. <laughs> we're going to work backwards this time, because we're starting with the best one with Supergirl, in, in my opinion, which we'll talk a little bit about as we go through this annual. Probably the strongest season of any of these shows that we had, uh, and then ending with Arrow, which, yeah, we'll worry about that when we get there. Yeah, yeah, I, it's it'll be like exactly like you said. Very interesting conversation. It's funny. Uh, a friend of mine who does another podcast actually asked me if I would be willing to come on this point at some point over the summer and talk about the top, I think, top ten episodes of Arrow, like throughout the course of the series. And my response was, "Are there ten? Are there ten? <laughs> <clears throat> but you know." I digress. We'll get to, <laughs> when we get to Arrow. Then there absolutely were there were ten great episodes of Arrow this season, if not more. But we're we're here to talk about Supergirl this 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 episode this week. So, uh, as always, if you are unfamiliar with the way our annuals are laid out and the format of these annuals, what we do is we give you from the top we we will rate uh, the season as a whole. Uh, our season villains, and we do these in a more specific way, as in we don't just give them sidekick hero and legend. We also give them a one through ten ranking as well. One through three being sidekick, four through eight, four through seven being hero, and eight through ten being legend. And then we're gonna go through and tell you our least uh, favorite and least favorite moments, characters, and episodes of the season. And I know, like Rob and I, you were you were and I were both at a had to get together last night and we were talking a little bit about this this was kind of tough yeah this was a really tricky one and i have a feeling our answers are going to be really similar across the board on this one i I think so too uh, i I shared my thoughts on a few of them you're like yeah that makes sense let's do that (laughs) it's it's kind of you know what um Supergirl is one of the shows that we've actually critiqued pretty heavily uh in the last four years and you know between seasons one two and three and it's funny, like, it, the show has always been a show we've enjoyed, but it's always suffered from very, very similar problems uh, season to season, where it was telling a lot of one-off episodes that eventually built up to something, but it always felt like the end game of each season was even was a surprise even to the writers, um, and they didn't figure it out until, like, the last, 
know, four to five episodes. And that was a problem that kept consistently happening season after season after season. And it was a real big surprise when season four hit us. And they felt like out of the gate, they knew exactly what they were planning, what they were doing. Man, did they deliver this year? They really, really delivered. And I'm I'm going to say, if you only watch one season of any of the shows on the CW this year for the superhero kind of brands, this was the season to watch. I really, really openly believe this was the season to definitely watch. Uh, and I'm really excited to break down these moments though today. I, I, you know, as much as many of our answers are going to be the same as each other, I think it's because it's a testament to how this all broke down and how our our questions and pieces are laid out in our annuals. And we got stuck trying to figure out quite a few of these answers because, right, is there a way you can really answer this? Because there really wasn't many little chinks in the armor on this this season. It was it was really hard to find problems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, there were it, it it wasn't just proving difficult as you and I were going over this to find things to list as our least favorites. It was tough to narrow down favorites at the same time because there were so many great characters this season, you know, to to kind of narrow it down to one favorite. There were so many great moments to narrow it down to one moment. So I know we're most likely and I, we've done this in the past. We'll probably give like runners up uh, you know, to mention some other great moments that happen as well. But yeah, I, as far as least favorites, you're right. This has been one of the strongest seasons of any show that we've seen across the Arrowverse, especially Supergirl. I think it's safe to say this is absolutely the strongest season Supergirl has ever seen in the four years <clears throat> that the show has been on the air. And you're right. All the little nitpicks and criticisms that we've had of the show over the past four seasons, I'm going to actually three seasons, seems like they took notes and they corrected almost all of them this season. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. Because we had very little criticism of Supergirl this year. Uh, and there are criticisms of Supergirl I, uh, that I've heard over the course of, you know, too political and, and, and such. But I feel like yeah, that kind of counted. That could have been a thing for last season because we had like the guns on the street issue that happened last season in season three and and such. And I feel like it, while still political, it was kind of more specific and toned down this season to a point where it, it actually really worked really well. Well, I think they really this year they, they went into this year. They planted their flag as far as where they stood. One of the biggest arguments I've had with a lot of the Arrowverse shows in the last couple of years was kind of them making a statement uh, to make a statement, really, essentially. But it was more or less kind of like, we want to let people know where we stand. But it always felt like a really wishy-washy one. It was like, but we could be swayed the other way. This was like, nope, this is exactly where we fall in the political spectrum. If you don't like it, maybe the show is not for you. And they, they held firm to that. I mean, there's a lot of analogy to what's going on in our actual yeah. political spectrum. In this season, from start to finish, I mean, there's no question they're not hiding anything. They're not being soft or gentle about it. It is it is in your face. They do not care. Uh, and they stood by it. And I really appreciate when, when a show is saying, this is where we fall. Um, and Or at least this is where our characters fall and this is where our story falls. Whether you agree or disagree, this is the story we're telling and they never wavered from it. And I really, really, really respect and appreciate them and all the decisions that they chose to make. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, with the political aspect that they took this season, uh, 
it's it's great that they 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 did exactly what you said and that they took their stand they stood behind it they didn't change they didn't falter and so much of it was reflective of what is actually happening in today's society that i was honestly surprised that at no point during the season did a certain someone tweet about this show yeah yeah and we're not gonna even bring up who that certain that someone is no you, I, you I'm, should I'm, be able to put it together though. yeah i'm leaving it purely at that that this that a certain someone i was expecting to tweet about certain things never did and it actually surprised me that that never happened yeah uh, you know what though uh which in my opinion proves that they're they honestly just the fact that we were shocked that it didn't happen should just tell you very clearly where things fell on their spectrum yeah. um and you know what though again i really really um appreciate when shows are, are are willing to take those risks knowing that it could impact their demographic it could impact the people watching it but it was it was the right way to shape this character because of who this character is um and i think this was a, a great kind of mirror to hold up to kind of our current society but also tell a really great story yeah exactly uh, so with that being said, let's jump into our rankings of both the season and the villains as a whole. Uh, and then we'll go from there and we'll break down, as we mentioned, the favorite and least favorite uh, things and parts of this season. Uh, and let's just start right from the top. And I think it's pretty safe to say listeners already know where we're going to fall with this. But when it comes to season four as a whole, giving it our, again, one through 10 ranking, one through three being sidekick, four through seven being hero, and eight through 10 being legend, where do you fall when it comes to ranking season four? Uh, right off the bat, I'm going to say, while we go into this conversation, you'll hear it in a lot of my responses. This is getting a legend. There's no question about it in my mind. And if I have to give this a score uh, by a number, I'm actually going to give it a 9.5. Uh, I it's I would say probably next to season one of The Flash, and, you know, I, I can't really fault it for anything it did. I think it was, I mean, even over season one of The Flash, this was the most concise story where they introduced the villains of the piece in episode one and we didn't even know it, and what, which is what made this season so incredibly brilliant. Our big bad doesn't show up until episode 15 and they were... They were in the shadow of every moment of every episode since episode one, and it was brilliant. And the way that the characters worked and interacted to get to those points is what makes this season so special, so memorable, and why it deserves that that high score. I think that 9.5 is fully deserved, easily one of the best seasons of any of the Arrowverse seasons we have ever had before. Okay. Uh, I'm even going to go a step further of something that you said, too, is that uh, you know the pieces of this season – uh, I don't think were given to us in in episode one. I actually think they were started being put down on the table uh, the season finale of season three. Yeah, yeah. You definitely. know, with the introduction of Red Daughter at the end. I mean, we don't know the connection to what Red Daughter is going to make, but that first piece, she is, in essence, the first piece of the entire puzzle that makes up season four. Yeah. And and yeah. we meet her at the end of season three. But as as far as the high ranking of season four goes, I'm right there with you. I'm a legend territory. I'm giving it a nine. And I do have one or two criticisms of the season that are so minute. So I don't even want to call them criticisms because there's they're things that I could very, very, very easily get over. And I did. And they're just certain character things that we'll get to as we as we dive further into this uh this annual. But yeah, absolutely. I agree with you completely. 
This is, as I mentioned before, one of the strongest seasons of any Arrowverse show. Absolutely the strongest season of uh, of Supergirl that we've gotten yet. I mean, and when you consider we've gotten things like the introduction of Tyler playing Superman and, you know, the multiverse being added, you know, with crossovers with the Flash. And that's the other thing, too. Elseworlds doesn't even play into these episodes. Elseworlds, we kind of treat those crossovers, we kind of treat as something completely separate. So when we go into talking about like our favorite episodes and things like that, Elseworlds won't even be mentioned because it's, they kind of are held separately to their own accord. Yeah. If you want to find out about Elseworlds, go back and listen to our episode about Elseworlds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's always going to stand by itself. Our crossovers, well, I mean, it's going to be the same thing when you hear Crisis uh, on Infinite Earths next year. Granted, it's going to be broken into two sections, which is going to be weird for us. But yeah. Yeah. Totally. It'll 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 be it'll be its own thing. It really will be. So Yeah, exactly. But, you know, again, it's this has been the strongest season and like I said, considering we've gotten things like like Superman added into the mix, the one of the best things about this season is that this is a season that was so good and it focused primarily on Supergirl. That we didn't have to we didn't have to lean on. Now, we did get Lex Luthor, which was a strong part of this. But he played into this mythos so well that I feel like with past seasons like season three, bringing Superman in was fantastic, but to a degree was kind of a crutch uh, for Supergirl. A, a fantastic crutch because we're all fans of Superman and Tyler was a fantastic Superman. But adding Lex into the mix this season I didn't feel like a crutch because this season was already fantastic before Lex was even added into the mix in episode 15. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We, you know, Ben Lockwood was already set up as a fantastic, uh, as a fantastic protagonist. Uh, the introduction of Manchester black and the elite this season was already, already, already probably the best season of this show had been before Lex and then adding Lex into it just brought it to a whole new level. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I could tell you I knew the season was something special. I think it was episode three, Man of Steel, which was the episode that we basically watched, um, you know, Ben Lockwood as a person that was for alien rights, watched the events in it that happened in his life that basically go through each moment of every season of Supergirl from season one to the inter into season four and how his life was impacted by the aliens around him and what created and built him into a villain. And it was truly interesting to watch. We've gotten a lot of episodes in the Arrowverse that has always been like the villain episode. Like, you know, we've seen that in Legends of Tomorrow. We've seen it in The Flash. We've seen it in Arrow. We've seen it in Supergirl. This is the first time I feel like it was done almost perfectly because you understood at why he became the person he did. Like, you really did. And you understood and you got like, I get his perspective, even if I don't agree with it, even if I understand why somebody come, becomes something like this. It he became a sympathetic, not sympathetic villain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like because you understood the, the the trials and tribulations he went through, the the result of his family falling apart because of you know um, aliens and his background of growing up with a xenophobic father and all these pieces and how they kind of impacted you know his thought process and his way of thinking and what led him to all these pieces and even if we never even got Lex. I was like, wow, this guy is going to be a truly special villain. And uh, he remained to be a really good one, even though he ended up kind of ultimately, you know, being, you know, the second rate villain out of all of this. And not to say that he was a second rate character by any stretch of the imagination. I really, really, truly think that, you know, he, he 
he was such a great character to love to hate. Same as Lex. I, I think it was really kind of wonderful to watch watch this person kind of have this massive fall from grace and not be able to come back from it. And and one of the things that made him so interesting as a villain too, and we're going to get to rating the villains since we're already talking about it anyway, is, you know, you're right. This was such a great sympathetic, not sympathetic villain, as you put it. And he was a villain, you know, he was a big bad of the season that we got for most of the most of the season by himself before Lex was introduced, he pretty much was the big bad. And well, at least that's what we're led to believe he was the big bad. And then it turns out Lex was influencing him the entire time. But, you know, even before we knew that he was a big bad who was a big bad without having big bad powers, his power, he he didn't have any superpowers. His superpower was his voice. Yeah. You know, and that's what made him even more of an influential big bad. But while we're talking about it, let's jump into that, too, and let's rate the villains of this season. And I'm wondering how we should do this, because in I, essence, there are I, three big bads. I was going to say, I think we need to rate all three of them, because they all played such integral and important roles in getting to us to the end. Like, they really, really did. Well, because we we do know, as, we, as I mentioned, Ben Lockwood was kind of influenced by Lex. He came about because of Lex Luthor. But Manchester Black was one that was kind of... Uh, a, a really cool twist on on the character in that he was, you know, a, a Superman villain who became a John a, a Martian Manhunter villain in this season. But he was kind of an aftermarket product in in a sense of Lex's plan. He was something that was that Lex did not intend to happen, but worked on Lex's behalf. So let's let's start with Manchester because he's kind of again aftermarket big bad i don't i don't want that to sound demeaning to manchester black because he's fantastic but let's start with manchester on the same scale that we were doing before uh how would you rate manchester as a big bad of this season uh yeah i've got to say straight off the bat manchester black 10 out of 10 no question about it uh legend uh david ajala just was (laughs) man he just oozed 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 charisma he was so amazing to watch (laughs) Um, and I was I was hooked on his character, you know, for a character that only had and appeared in seven episodes of the season. And he just dominated the screen every time he had a moment to, to be a part of the season. And I I really wish that, you know, he he made it through because he's a character I really want to see more of. And I hope they have an opportunity to find a way to maybe bring him back. I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way to do it. Um, but I I think he's going to be a character even though he he's kind of been he was defeated by um, you know at a, a later point in the season i really do personally feel that we're gonna see his character still leave a lasting impact on john jones for a very very long time and i hope that's the case because any opportunity again they can bring him back i will be absolutely giddy but he he was He's such an interesting character because i loved the way that he even said it and it was the line that i repeated when he he showed up you know, we had the alternate right, and he was—he referred to himself and the elite as the intolerant left. Uh, it was great watching these two opposing forces come head to head with Supergirl, kind of not stuck in the middle because she did fall fall more onto the liberal mindset of all of this, uh, but was still trying to find a place to bring peace between the two two sides and try to kind of calm the storm as much as possible. But he was this perfect spark that lit this massive fire going up against the Children of Liberty and really just elevated the Ben Lockwood story arc so much. But at the same time, being this constant thorn in John's side where it was just pushing John into such a 
dangerous direction. And watching John have to struggle all because of what Manchester was doing to him, but also trying to evolve the Ben Lockwood story, the Children of Liberty story, the President John storyline, all these pieces was really, truly amazing. And I think without a a casting like David Ajala, I don't think that would have worked. I think he was such a perfect character our perfect actor to portray this character. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, especially on the portrayal of this. I mean, it's he was one of those characters that immediately uh, kind of struck a nerve. And when I say struck a nerve, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, he, I took to him almost immediately the moment that we saw him and was introduced to him. And he's a character I wasn't too familiar with. Uh, I, I knew of the character, but I wasn't too familiar with the mythos of the character. So... It was great getting to explore that. So when he made that turn, because it did look like when he was first introduced, he was somebody who was going to be an ally to the team. And in many aspects, he was for a little while. You know, he was helping John. He was helping Kara. And when he made that twist to become a villain and become the leader of the elite, putting together everybody else, you know, from the hat menagerie to everybody else in that group, it was so so much fun and yet interesting at the same time to watch that happen and that have everything play about because it's one of those things that when you get introduced to a character like Manchester Black and you do love that character so much when he makes that turn you're almost uh, one part of you is like okay I'm really disappointed he's becoming a villain but at the same time I'm so intrigued that I have to keep watching you know, he's one of those villains that you end up loving, hating, or, yeah. or, or, or hate to love. You know, either way you look at it, it works both ways. So, and I, I feel the same way with you, too, that you that you do as well with the casting, that I really, now that I know more about the character, I don't think I can see anybody else portraying that role as well as he did. No, not at all. I, I really, truly think that's that's the case here. So, uh, yeah. So as far as my ranking for Manchester, I, I, I'm giving him um, I, I'm, I'm giving him a nine out of ten as far as a villain goes. And it's only because I wanted to see more. Yeah, that's I'm right only, there with you. That's the only reason I'm not giving him a perfect ten. I'll go as far as to give it like a nine point seven. But that's, again, only because I wish we would have gotten more. That's the only reason it's not a perfect ten. Perfect. So, uh, all right, moving on from Manchester Black now on to Ben Lockwood. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about him as far as, you know, we got introduced to him in episode one and we saw such a transformation and uh, metamorphosis of this character. As far as Ben Lockwood as a big bad goes, how do you rank? Another legend. Um, I, <laughs> again, it's, it's gonna, I got to tell you, it's, uh, these, these three villains are going to go three across the board. Uh, they're going to be legend across the board. There's no question. The the number score alters a little bit. Uh, ben Lockwood, I would say, originally was uh, really high up there on a 10, but I think his role and his importance, obviously, once Lex came into the picture, really kind of devolved a little bit, which was a shame, because uh, you kind of saw him when he ended up into the cabinet position, uh, working with President Tron. Uh, not really President Tron, but I know. <laughs> what we refer to President Tron. Um, you know, you saw him take a big step back, and I would have liked to see him have a little bit more of a... Uh, imposing, um, you know, kind of feeling. And we did see that happen uh, in a couple of moments when older members of, you know, the Children of Liberty called him out. And you saw that that twist and that crack and break where we saw him, uh, you know, beat one of them pretty much into a, a bloody pulp, essentially. But we did see this kind of weird kind of step backwards for his character later on. But still nothing to a point that I think 
takes him out of legend character uh, category because he really ended up becoming this massively wonderfully set up character that still had a really great ending um you know and a really good uh end to their story uh and, and so i'm gonna say right off the bat i think sam Witwer just Again, another character for a villain that oozes charisma. Charisma is the the magic word in the yeah, it here. really is. <laughs> when you um, look at all the villains is here, because like it, it's again, I bring up Man of Steel. When you start hearing him spout this al- uh, anti alien rhetoric, um, and the way that he discusses it, it's kind of like when you hear like cult leaders talk, <laughs> or like you see some of those like weird infomercially like um, really extreme. No, because I'm not you know. Putting putting down any religion because they're really not not for that. Uh, but like when you hear some of those, like you know, like you wake up at four in the morning, you're flipping through the network, and you get those really extreme Baptists that are you you catch in the middle of the night, and you're like, what is going on? What did I just wake up to? <laughs> uh, but like if you start listening to them, like the way that they talk, it, it kind of brings you into this cult mindset of like, oh, that makes sense. And they kind of drag you in. That's the way Ben Lockwood played. And I think they played him really wisely in that direction. Uh, to because they made you kind of go like it's like oh that makes sense. I was like wait a second what are they doing here and you're like oh I, I see what they're the way that they're manipulating the writing on this to to fall into those things that are trying to lead you astray lead you into these kind of pathways because they wanted to make him so sympathetic and they wanted you to understand where he was coming from um, but yeah still still great wonderful portrayal Sam Witwer uh, and a character that ultimately becomes a very tragic figure by the end of the season. Uh, a man that basically loses everything and he realizes it's all because of the path he fell down and losing you know his wife losing his father uh essentially losing his son because of a change in their perspective because of the course of his actions um so you really you, you feel bad for him but you don't because you were happy he got his comeuppance by the end of it all um it was really kind of an interesting story to watch from start to finish because we got so much of his backstory early on you could see where he was coming from. So, uh, really great character, but I think I'm going to give him an eight, eight point. Uh, let's say eight point five. Okay, um, I'm with you again. Legend category. Uh, I'm. I think I'm actually going to share your ranking too of an eight point five because uh, I agree. Sam Widower was a, another great casting in this role. Uh, you know, I've. You know, when you saw him in, I mean, he's been in so many great roles. And this is such a huge departure of him playing Doomsday on Smallville, which. I love Smallville, but that was one of the worst seasons of that show ever. I still sat through it, but still. Um, you know, so great seeing him return to another DC property and this time getting to play something I, I think feel was a little bit more comfortable for him to play. And I don't want to make that sound like he's a diatribe like, you know, Ben Lockwood was. Uh, it just felt like he, he just was able to fit better in this role. And, you know... It, as far as the ranking goes, like I said, 8.5. I'm going to share that with you. It's funny that you bring up the whole losing everything aspect of his character because this is something I didn't really think about until now. You know, when we get – a lot of times we get – we can have villains that are created because of their their experiences in life. And we've seen people who have stepped up as a villain, both hero and villain, because of losing everything. You know, we saw some – you take somebody – and I, I know this is a, a Marvel character – but you take somebody like Frank Castle, who lost his wife and son and stepped up and because of that became the Punisher. You know, but we've also seen the same thing of somebody losing their family and going for an, and turning dark over it and becoming a villain. This is an interesting twist on a character because this is a character who loses everything because of a villainous turn. Um, 
you know, when you see somebody who becomes a villain because they lost everything, they kind of become more of a sympathetic villain. And I think we still get an element of that with Ben Lockwood, knowing that he has lost everything in the end. His wife is murdered, his son is turned against him, and as a, as a voice for the complete opposite of what he stood for uh, as, you know, the character that he was. And, or as Agent of Liberty, and Agent Liberty. And my question is, do you think that still makes him a sympathetic villain? Like, do we feel sorry for him that he lost everything because of it? Or do we feel like, no, you deserved that to happen? Well, I think it's both. I really do. I mean, like, it's kind of funny, yeah, because I didn't kind of even put this together. Like, we're, we're following a character that ultimately loses everything because of the villain turn. And then Manchester Black is somebody that lost everything and became a villain as well, uh, as well. So you're seeing, but they both fall on opposite sides of the spectrum. That's right. Yeah. On, on, Manchester's on, on, a good example of the opposite side. Right. Like where he, he falls into that category in, in thinking. And, but the thing is, what was interesting is both of these characters thought they were heroes. They truly did. They, they really believed their convictions of what they were doing because they really truly believed it was the right thing. Um, so that's, yes, that that's kind of the definition of what makes a sympathetic villain. They were they truly believed it, and you understood why they believed it. It was because of intense things that that destroyed their lives prior to these moments. Like you know, Ben Blockwood's life continues to deteriorate even more, and worse things continue to happen because of the path he chooses. Um, but I mean, like he truly believed he was trying to do everything in his power to save the world. Like he really did. Like it's the same as Lex. This whole idea of the season was really. All of these villains truly believing they were doing the right thing. Ultimately, Lex is doing it because of personal reasons. Yes, uh, which, which we'll like, get to. Yeah, it's because of his his, his disdain for a certain individual. Uh, but I mean, ultimately, though, that's what's always driven Lex. It's, but it's what drove Agent Liberty. It's what drove Manchester Black. Was all of them believed truly they were doing the best thing for the country and for their families and for themselves and. They stood by their convictions, which led them down the darkest path humanly possible. But it was every one of these characters did it from their own angle. But every one of them, in a way, minus Lex, was, I think, because of for sympathetic reasons. And, so. and I think in, in a lot of ways that actually makes for the best kind of villains. You know, the villains that think they are truly doing good and not doing evil. Uh, you know, because, like you mentioned, they believe in their convictions. And I think that gives them a higher motivation than somebody who is purely doing it for the sake of vengeance, uh, you know, or to simply just be evil. Uh, it's very easy to create a character that's being evil for the sake of being evil, but to create a villain uh, or a protagonist who's doing it because they believe what they're, tr what they're doing is truly good work. I mean, again, relation to another Marvel character, to Thanos. You know, Thanos' motivation, he thought he was helping the universe by eliminating half of it. Uh, you know, convictions are a good driving force of a villain, and we got them in spades with both Ben Lockwood and Manchester Black. Yeah, I, I really do. I, and again, Sam Witwer, he's a truly phenomenal actor. I still love him. Uh, again, not even Smallville, but what was the, um, the Star Wars game that he did? Uh, Force Awakens. Oh. Uh, Force not Force Unleashed. Forced Unleashed. That's Force Unleashed, yeah. Uh, that's still not my favorite Star Wars thing for him. <laughs> What's... Uh, Darth Maul. Man. Oh, that's right. Because he's Darth Maul in Clone Wars and Rebels and and Solo. Um, yeah. He, he, he portrays that character. 
and his portrayal of that character sends chills up my spine. And I, it's truly just, just amazingly written, but the performance just even makes it now it's it so high i need i so need to high. make those animated series my summer watching this summer because i still I, get to watch them oh you really do it is it, truly i think at this point in time rebels is still untouchable for me as far as my favorite star wars anything of ever because so. that was one of those things that wouldn't because i remember going to see solo with all you guys and as much as we loved the movie i i got chills when we saw darth maul but you guys got bigger chills because of the version of darth maul that we got Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just saw Darth Maul and I was like, oh, you know, it's Darth Maul. And you guys were like even freaking out even higher because it's that version that you love portrayed. Oh, by yeah. Him. And also because we ultimately know how he got to that point <laughs> because of which, things like which Clone I Wars don't. Yeah. So I really need to watch. Adds, it adds a lot of fun context. Uh, but yeah, no, Sam Witwer, he's just a he's just a kick ass actor. I really love him. I think he does such a phenomenal job. And I was really pumped to see him have such a long, long run on this season. And be involved, and the fact that ultimately he's still alive, and he could he could play a role down the road. So, really looking forward to seeing it, hopefully him turn up in season five or season six down the road. We'll yeah, see. yeah, for sure. Um, all right, that leaves us to the final one, and I think I'm I might be able to predict where our rankings are going to fall for this <laughs> why one. Don't you, why don't you take the lead on this? Sure. <laughs> uh, the only villain we have left to talk about is Lex Luthor and the introduction of him into this season. And I'm just going to say it. If you agree with me, you can. Perfect 10. I'm giving him a 10 out of 10 this season. And that is saying a lot because of the fact that, you know, when we got the casting of John Cryer to play Lex Luthor, we knew Lex was coming in this season. We were waiting to hear the casting. And when we got the announcement and we talked about it on on the Facebook page and on the podcast that John Cryer was the one cast. You know, we've gotten to a point now, both as podcasters and as fans, that we don't automatically attack a casting. We we sit with it for a couple of days, we think about it, and then we analyze what we think it's going to be. You know, everything from Ben Affleck playing Batman to now James um, uh, Robert Pattinson playing Batman and John Cryer playing Lex Luthor. We sat with this, and the more I thought about it, yeah, I think this could work. I think this is interesting casting. And he got razzed for it a little bit, but I think his portrayal of this character, I, I'm... These are big words because I think uh, Gene Hackman is a fantastic Lex Luthor. Uh, you know, we've talked about Clancy Brown. We've talked about um, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. Uh, we have, I think, with the exception of, um, oh, God, what's his name from Batman vs. Batman Superman? Oh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse yeah. Eisenberg. With the exception of Jesse Eisenberg, I've never really had any issues with anybody who's portrayed Lex Luthor. You know, even in Superman Returns, which isn't a great movie, but I still enjoyed it. I think I thought Spacey was a fantastic Lex Luthor. Um, Eisenberg, I eliminate from the mix. I don't even talk about Eisenberg. Um, I I'm gonna say this right now. I love Gene Hackman because I love those Superman movies. John Cryer might be my favorite iteration of Lex Luthor. Yeah, he was he. he... He played the character wonderfully. I was truly, truly blown away as well. It, it, uh, he was one of those characters. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, you're um, fine. He was one of those, you know, one of these introductions that is very, we get a very subdued introduction to Lex. You know, he's sick. He's in a wheelchair. But when we finally get the big reveal of his character actually being healthy and 
and such, and we get those moments. I'm just going to call them those Lex moments, as you can't see me recording, but I'm moving my arms in a conductor way. Uh, anybody who's seen the seen the season understands that. Everything from the introduction of his character until finding out his final actual motivation of everything that has happened in this season screams Lex Luthor. From everything we know about Lex Luthor, from the movies to the comic books, his portrayal of this character was flawless, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. There's not a single issue I had with his character whatsoever. Uh, he was calm, cool, collected, s- smarmy, like everything that you expect him to be. Remorseless. Calcul- remorseless, calculating, everything. And, and just, again, but charming. And so incredibly charming. And like I said, the way that he moved every single piece on a chessboard constantly through this season was truly amazing. It was a character that he was in, what, four episodes? Five episodes total? And it was just, you felt his presence everywhere. I mean, we're going to talk about our favorite episodes, but like, you know, when we get into the House of L, uh, you know, in, in this season, which was episode 16, and we understand everything and why everything played out the way that it did, you're like, of course it does. It, this, of course this makes all sense. Of course all these pieces were set up in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, and of course Lex was there and doing all of it. And it was perfect. It was so incredibly perfect. And the only thing I think they they could have done even better was have him become president by the end. That was that's the only thing they could have done to elevate this even higher and put this beyond you know that ten. I can't remember what we what we use as our beyond legend score. <laughs> so I don't remember it, either. Yeah. Was it new? Was it new god? I think, I think it was new god. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. It was. I, I think it was. It was perfect. There was nothing I could have could have said that could have made this even better than what it was. They had so much fun. John Cryer had a blast. You could tell that he cared and loved the idea of this character, and he was really happy to be able to honor it, and he did an amazing job of it. The writers truly made sure that Lex felt like Lex, but it never felt like this was a Superman show without Superman. It always still felt like Supergirl, and Lex's involvement with that character played perfectly. I mean, Lex and Supergirl have had a long history in the comics, too, going back to before the death of Superman, you know, where we had, you know, the the crazy long hair, uh, long red haired Lex Luthor, you know, and we even got a nod to that this season, where we saw, Le- <coughs> excuse me, Lex walking around in public uh, at a point with with the curly long red hair wig, uh, which just made me smile. And I'm like, that's amazing that they're playing homage to all these little pieces. But you know, we talked about it last week with Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles about like the way that they played the turtles up into all these different versions of the character. Same thing here for Lex. They really, truly honored every version that is of Lex that has come before it while still making it its own thing and still making it special. Yeah, exactly. So are you sharing in my ranking of a perfect 10 for Lex? Oh, absolutely. There's no, no question about it in my mind whatsoever. This was perfect. Okay. And it's funny, too, because you, you mentioned earlier in, in what you were saying about how you know, this whole thing was kind of like a chess game for Lex. And the more I think about it, the more true that really stands. Because one of the things that is like infamous with chess players is the fact that, you know, if it is having to sacrifice your queen in order to get the checkmate. And if you think about it, Red Daughter was his queen. Yeah. And he well, sacrifices his queen to get yeah. the checkmate. 
Well, yeah, he doesn't well, get the final checkmate, which was his. We find out his ultimate motivation was to uh, destroy Argo, which is where Superman was. So his ultimate motivation, which again, still loved to this point, is which is because it screams Lex Luthor, is that even after everything that was happening, this was all just to gain control of satellites to destroy Argo. Uh, or yeah. weapons to destroy Argo. Um, so that, I think, in his was his ultimate checkmate. But to a degree, he still gets a checkmate because he kind of destroys Lena's trust in people yeah. in by revealing that Kara is Supergirl. Yeah. And it was great because, like I said, essentially, even though he lost, he still won. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was the best best part. It's It's great. It was so much fun to watch him go through all these points manipulating Lena the way he did, manipulating Kara, manipulating Red Daughter, manipulating, you know, the vice president who later became the president, manipulating Ben Lockwood, manipulating Otis and Mercy Graves and, and Eve Tessmacher, all these people, you know, it, Jimmy Olsen. The way that he involved himself with every single character, I think the only character he really didn't get involved with at all was Alex. Alex, uh, Nia, and, and, and Brainiac. And that's they're the only ones. Everything else was all under his thumb from start to finish. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It was the it was, entire thing. You put it the best. Uh, this entire season was a Lex Luthor chess game. Yeah, and it was and it was played perfectly. Yep, it a, was played so perfectly. Uh, yeah, agreed completely. All right, so we've gotten our uh, our primary. We've gotten the meat of the discussion out of the way. Ranking the season and ranking the villains. Let's just go through and name uh, you know some of our favorite and least favorite of the episodes, characters, and moments. Uh, what do you want to start with uh, as far as these go? Do we want to just knock characters out of the way and then go? Yeah, let's, out? Let, let's get characters out of the way because I think, you know, best character, I think we just talked about. It. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I mean, my favorite character, uh, you know, with a runner up going to Manchester Black is Lex Luthor. I mean, the introduction of this character was 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 amazing. Uh, the portrayal of the character was flawless. I really don't think I could get any better than that. Uh yeah. I do want to say, though, another runner-up, and this is... It seems weird because after four seasons, we've never given this person a favorite character win, uh, but I think they deserve it this season. I, I want to give it to Kara. I want to give it to... I want to give a runner-up to Supergirl because... And not necessarily Supergirl. I actually want to give it to Kara Danvers because, you know, one of the interesting elements of this was she... By the end of this season, Kara is actually the one that gets the win by writing the article. She, just like Ben Lockwood's influence and voice were his abilities in this, Kara, in essence, yes, while she does have superpowers and uses them to kind of fight Red Daughter and uh, and such, it's really Kara and the article that she writes that is the ultimate defeat of lex and uh and president baker aka president tron so while lex and manchester are are getting top tier i think kyra is deserving this season because yeah. of that fact yeah i i would say i totally agree with you on that my um my runner-up is actually brainiac five okay uh i think brainiac like i said we talked about it last week or a couple weeks ago when we talked about the finale um you know we walked into the season without you know, win without Jeremy Jordan as part of the season at all. You know, we, we got it mentioned over, uh, or two of them in the very beginning, but never got to see his face. Uh, and Jesse Rath had uh, some big shoes to fill to handle, kind of making sure to be the person to help ease the tension 
whenever possible and add an element of humor to the show when necessary to help kind of lighten the load. Because this was a season that, that got into some really intense things, and he really, I think, stepped up into Jeremy's role wonderfully and became something special and new without feeling like Wynn rehashed. Uh, he was he was a really fun character to watch grow, and we saw some really intense, dark moments with him uh, that were really special. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to where his character is going to go next year. And I'm, I'm, I really think Jesse Rath deserved a lot of respect um, for for his role this season between watching his relationship grow with Nia to watching just his relationship inside the DEO with Alex and Kara. It was really, really amazing to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, you know, it, there were some great things with, with Brainiac that came about. Uh, he was a great addition to this season. And uh, with um, with Jeremy Jordan returning next season, I, have they said whether or not it's limited or if he's coming back as a regular? I, I My guess is we're going to see Jeremy Jordan purely for a handful of episodes uh, with Jesse Rath kind of still taking that, that billing over him. I think, again, it's going to be a very limited capacity. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things play out when the two of them are back together again because they did have a great chemistry in season three uh as limited as it was so it'll probably be limited again going into season five but it's it's going to be fun to see it play out so um least favorite characters this is going to be tough uh because i don't really think there was a bad character Hell, and I'm going to share yours. Um, yeah, because you already know mine. We talked about it uh, earlier. Yeah, on. and I, I agree with you. So I'm going to let you take take the lead on this one because uh, I, I couldn't think, think of one. And when you brought it up, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to give my worst character, uh, you know, worst character ranking to Colonel Haley. And that's not to say – I want to preface this by saying it's not because I feel like she was a horrible character. That's not it at all. When – I'm only saying Colonel Haley because in – the story that we get from somebody we're introduced to and we're believed is going to be a major antagonist, uh, you know, to Kara and and Alex and such. And then when we get to the end of her character where she is a major ally, I feel like they could have explored that a little bit more. And this is one of the reasons why I didn't give the season, you know, I only give the season a 9 and not a 9.5 or higher, is because I feel like... I feel like this was a character they could have done more with. I understand they didn't have the time to do it, so they could only do what they could with Colonel Haley. But she was such a, a character that made such an intriguing turn uh, in what we believed her to be that I feel like if they spent just a little more time with her, we could have gotten even more character development to a point where she could have come in the next season and we'd be behind her all the way. That makes sense. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change my answer. Uh, I thought of somebody else that I think, on my side, I think is more deserving of... Can I, of... Can I take a guess? Because sure. I have a runner-up. Okay. Um, and I might people might disagree with me on this. My runner-up is Alex. Uh, no, it's actually not it at all. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I do understand. I think Alex had a limited role this season a little bit, and I think there's, that's okay. She got a lot of spotlight previous years. And she still had some really great moments this year. Uh, but my actual character that I'm going to say is least favorite is is actually going to be Mercy Graves. Um, you know, it's a character we almost forget about that existed in this season because she played a role with Otis in the very beginning, kind of helping set up the, the pieces. Um, and, you know, we saw what, you know, you know Mercy and Otis killed um, kind of unceremoniously in the beginning, you're like, wait, it's only like, uh, what, four episodes in and they're already off the board? No, I don't want that. 
Uh, because I think really it was disappointing because I think Mercy is such a great and interesting character, especially in the comic books we've seen her animated series quite a few other places. I think really they could have had an opportunity to do something really awesome with uh, Otis and Mercy throughout the season because she was a really she was a force to be reckoned with, like really heavily. And I feel like they took her off the board purely so they could use the Lex screaming Miss Tessmacher gag because Eve really didn't need to be there. I mean, she kind of did because she had to back, like, uh, you know, like backstab Lena to be able to help get Lex into position. But I could have, I think we could have seen that same thing happen with Mercy there, where Eve was just kind of, they're kind of more as a joke and more as a punchline, uh, where I think Mercy could have been used um, in, in a really more intense way that could have served uh, this, this season maybe just a little bit better, which could have elevated it into a perfect 10. But I think um, yeah, that was that was a disappointment for me because it's a character I always thought was really interesting, and they they kind of didn't have an opportunity to really do anything special with her character. Yeah, it's it's funny that you bring that up too because you you know you mentioned how Mercy is someone I we kind of forget was in this season, and I kind of did uh, until you brought her up because you know we get the you know the 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 parts with the end with Lex with Otis and Miss Tessmacher that you kind of forget Mercy and Otis were together at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, and it was our first introduction to Otis. So, yeah, I can understand completely why that would be, you know, worst character uh, of yeah. the season. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Let's move on to moments. Uh, you know, our least favorite and favorite moments of the season. Uh, and I think, you know, in talking about this a little bit last night with you, uh, previously with you, I think I kind of share in both your least favorite and favorite moments. Because I really can't think of anything better well no i I think i have i I think my favorite moment does differ from yours but i'm actually going to let you take the lead and we'll start with least this time okay because i share in yours with this so least favorite moment is actually the death of manchester black (laughs) so uh it was a character that we kept watching it build up and build up and build up and build up and then the moment that we see john take the staff from him and basically just make him disintegrate. And you see that, you hear that last line that David Ajala kind of states to, you know, uh, in, in his portrayal of the character. When he's looking at Johnny, this is beautiful, you know, because he was so happy that he kind of pushed John Jones into that really dark place and turned him back into the killer that he knew he kind of could be because he could kind of, he saw inside John. He knew what John was capable of, even before John did. And and watching that transformation happen was really intense. But I'm like, no, don't do that. I'm like, he's too good of a character. He's too good of an actor. <laughs> he, he's he, he's going to be somebody that we I think we need. We need a roster of big bads because right now, again, ah, come on, CW, stop doing this with your shows. Stop killing your villains. Stop <laughs> killing your background supporting <laughs> villains. It's really stupid. It's it, like I said, one of the big people that kept being a major player up until this season because she wasn't this is the first season she wasn't in we had livewire come back over and over and over we had you know silver banshee like silver banshee's still out there somewhere but uh, i like seeing villains return and and kind of causing a headache i mean the one show that that constantly does it is arrow that keeps bringing back old, older villains but it's the villains nobody wants them to bring back yeah stop bringing <laughs> yeah. stop bringing cupid back there's no reason to bring cupid back stop bringing china white back but you know, it's the characters that you don't want to die are the ones that always seem to die. And I really think they had an opportunity to say, you know what? 
we we kind of introduced the idea of the elite. We're going to make them an even more terrifying force next year. And with Manchester Black at the helm yet again to kind of cause chaos and a headache for all of these characters. And they don't currently have that opportunity. Unless we can find out what that my- mystical artifact, maybe it just transported them somewhere, like the Phantom Zone or somewhere else. Or, you know, we see a more more intense version of him come back. But I was really, really bummed when they took him off the board because I wanted to see him play out until the end. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I I was really disappointed to see that he was, he was killed off because we were kind of anticipating this big blowout you know battle with everybody by the end of the season and then by this episode he's he's gone he's written off and i really do hope that they find a way to make him return but you're right he you know him with you know menagerie and the hat and everything this could have been supergirl's version of the rogues and you know that the flash has in that you're right they kill off the villains that everybody loves so when you need to have like a one-off episode you end up having to bring in somebody new or you know, a, a one-off villain, whereas you could have kept these guys around and just had them come back for a week and still continue to play into a continuing underlying story with all these characters that, you know, sure, we don't get the next chapter for another five or six episodes, but we still get another chapter of their story rather than just bring in somebody who you're just going to bring in for one episode. And yes, it's fun to explore the mythos of Supergirl and bring in like a one-off character that we would have never thought we would have seen on screen. And it's happened with The Flash, it's happened with Arrow. But you're right, I wish they would have kept them around. But thinking about something else as you were talking about it, when it comes to Manchester, Manchester is another villain similar to Lex who ends up getting the win in the end, even though he's killed. Yeah, (laughs) both of them do. Yeah, (laughs) Both of them die that way. His, His ultimate goal was to turn John to the dark side, forgive the Star Wars reference, but he does. He wins by doing that. By having John kill him, he, Manchester wins. So, yeah, it's just very interesting that that happened. But you're right. It's the death of Manchester, or at least the death as we know it for now, we're going to say, uh, was definitely one of my least favorite moments from this this series as well. Yeah. And ultimately, I think because, man, can you imagine David Ajala and John Cryer getting a couple good scenes together oh, and God. just watching them try to one up each other on screen? Man, that would have been great. Yeah, because it's something we didn't get to see at all. And, and I, I really wish we did. And man, that would have been awesome. That would have been really awesome. Because, again, the two of them were just charisma incarnate. Um, I really loved both of them so much. And I, I, I really, yeah, I really hope that they find a way to bring his character back. Me, too. Me too. Uh, why don't you take us into your favorite moment as well? Because mine is not yours, but it's similar to yours. Oddly enough, mine comes from the exact same episode, <laughs> yeah. which is episode 15, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, when we're introduced to Lex, but it's not the normal part, but it's the very end of that episode. Those last two minutes that we just oozed about weeks and weeks and weeks ago when we saw Lex step up out of the chair. <laughs> we find out that he is... He is now pretty much going to be A-OK because of getting the injection and just laying waste to everything as he conducts his, his the operatic music as he's walking out of the manor, just laying waste to everybody as he walks directly onto the helicopter and says, peace, I'm out, and just with a waste of bodies behind him. It was just a stunning sequence when we truly, truly understood what John Cryer was going to be capable of as Lex Luthor. Yeah, uh, that is a runner-up for favorite moment for me when it comes to this season. However, my favorite moment is also a Lex moment, uh, but mine is actually going into the season finale 
in which the opening of the episode, not the end of the episode like yours, uh, seeing Lex in the Lex armor going through and destroying uh, Kazian ships and such, singing to Frank Sinatra was, to me, that was the purest form of Lex next to the moment that you shared that we got this entire season. Like, I had such a huge smile on my face seeing Lex Iron Man it up and just singing along to everything. You know, we, we talk about, and God, I, I know I'm bringing up more Marvel references than anything, but, uh, you know, I said Iron Manning it up. Tony Stark is a man who screams charisma when it comes to that, and that was kind of a reflection that we got. You know, he, Lex just screams charisma, and just seeing him... It's, it's one of those things that when you're watching him doing this, you know his motivations are evil as to why he's doing it. But seeing a villain having fun doing what he's doing is, God, it just drives that villain even higher up on a list. Yeah. Because you know he has no remorse for anything that he's doing in the fact that he's having fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. So that, to me... While I love the moment that you you shared about you know conducting you know everything happening, and and just seeing everything, uh, that moment at the end with him in the suit is just that's my favorite moment of the season. Yeah. So, uh, all right, that only leaves least uh, favorite and favorite episodes of the season. Uh, let's start with least, and then we'll go out on top talking about favorite episodes. This is a tough one for me because I really don't think, in all honesty, I have one. Um, do you have a least favorite episode? I do, and it, it was it's it's a nitpick, really. Um, uh, episode twelve, Menagerie. I, I thought the that episode kind of was it slowed the story down a little bit. Like we were, you know, we just got you know episode eleven was Blood Memory, where you know you have Kara and Nia basically on the trip to Nia's hometown, where she kind of becomes Dreamer, and then we get that big reveal for Kara telling Nia, you know, that she's Supergirl, and you know the story is kind of moving along at a pretty intense pace. Uh, Menagerie, you know, is again, it's just really just introducing another member of, you know, the elite. But when they bring her into the mix, like, you know, like, I, I, you know, the hat almost was more interesting. Menagerie was kind of like, hey, here's some weird CG tentacles. And like, you know, that are coming out of coming out of this girl, you know, it was just kind of like, eh, it was just it, it just, just didn't work as well. I mean, like we got a couple funny moments in this episode. Definitely, you know, this is the the Valentine's Day party where we see Brainiac at the very beginning, uh, drunk, and he's like, "Well, I got to sober up," and it's just like, "Okay, fine, I'm good." You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, like there's a couple of amusing moments, but it, ultimately, though, it, we didn't really get to see anything special here. You know, we did see you know John kind of making the shift to becoming the PI in this episode, which was fun. I really loved getting that nod finally. That that kind of finally happened and. It made you and I smile pretty heavily, and it was exciting to see those pieces. But I think the entirety of the Menagerie story itself was very kind of slow and and plotting, and it was kind of not the not the best. Um, and it was it was an episode I think that didn't need to be there. It could have tightened up because again, we get to some really huge things because you know right after that we get to what's so funny about Truth, Justice, the American Way, where you actually see the elite in full, and again. Menagerie was there purely to kind of help set that up, but like, I mean, she was just kind of a whatever character. Whatever, I'd rather this episode have been about the hat, you know? <laughs> the hat was interesting and weird because of the fifth dimension stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, 
it wasn't necessary. I'd rather would have seen the elite episode kind of stretched to two full episodes versus them focus on just purely one of those characters. I yeah, and I can see that too. And for that reason, I think I'm going to share in your uh, your pick for least favorite episode because I really can't think of any other any other episode that I would criticize. Uh, and and even again with Menagerie, like you said, it's kind of a nitpick. Uh, you know, it's still a great episode, but you're right. When you look at the the focus of the characters, they could have done a little bit more with them. So, yeah. Uh, all right. So that leads us now to our favorite episode of the season. Again, another tough choice. Yeah. And I think I'm going to switch mine up a little bit to kind of shake things up. So I, I, I have mine and I also have a runner up. Yeah, I, I've got a big runner-up, too. I think, oh, God, this is the hardest one, I think. <laughs> Let's start with our runner-ups, actually. Okay, um, all right. Who, what is your, your runner-up for favorite mine's, episode of the season? Mine's going to be episode 14, Stand and Deliver. Um, this is an episode that I remember when it happened. You and I had a very long conversation on this podcast. of saying this was one of the most intense, beautiful moments of this show that we've ever seen. And that is when we had Mad World playing with that, that yeah. protest that happens. And the build-up to that moment was so intense and just wonderful. I mean, it's I know a lot of people didn't like the episode. Uh, it's one of the lower-rated episodes on IMDb. But you know what? I truly thought that was a really beautifully powerful episode, and especially that moment. I think that really, truly deserved um, a really high nod. Uh, so, yeah, episode 14, Stand and Deliver, is my runner-up. Okay. Uh, my runner-up is actually season four, episode 19, American Dreamer. Uh, I thought, you know, um, you know, Dreamer is a character who I, I don't think we've kind of put much spotlight on in this annual, but is well deserving of it because she is a character that definitely came into her own. So seeing this full on transformation of her becoming Dreamer, I thought was a lot of fun. And not only that, but I mean, we, we talk about the use of music in episodes, which they've done a lot with this season. You know, you mentioned Mad World being in, in that episode, um, you know, in the finale, we get Frank Sinatra and we get Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue. This is the one where we got a fight scene put to American Woman, which I thought was fantastic. Not only that, but this was the directorial debut of David Harewood. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason, I think uh, and actually, this is also the episode where we start to see the downfall of or not the downfall, but the beginning of the losses that Ben Lockwood takes, you know, driving him to his ultimate fate in, in towards the season, because this is also the episode where some where his wife is murdered. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot that happens in this episode, which made me choose this as my runner-up favorite episode of the season. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It was a great, great episode. And then that wonderful speech, too, by Nia Yes. Um, during the interview was really just beautifully done and really inspiring and just awesome. And it really kind of got the message about what the heroes were trying to accomplish and achieve this season. Yes, so. exactly. Um, all right, that leads us to our choices of favorite episode. <laughs> do you, you want to go first, been, or do you want me I'm to go feeling first? feeling we... We may share this, but uh, I, you know, I can just dive right in if you like. Okay. Um, episode sixteen, the House of Ill. That's not um, mine, but it's a good. Oh, it's a good, good one. Good. I gotta say, it was that moment where we got to see <laughs> what Lex has been cooking up since the start. It took us through all the seasons, just very similar to um, you know the uh, you know Man of Steel episode where we saw how Ben Lockwood became what he was. 
This is the same episode, essentially, with Lex on how everything breaks down. It was a real true introduction to Lex as a character. Uh, starting off with watching him and Lena oh, you know, in Metropolis overlooking red skies as the city is being destroyed as Lex created a red sun to try to kill Superman. Uh, down to his trial, which was one of the greatest moments where we basically say, hey, you're being, we're going to basically put you under 27 consecutive life sentences. And then killing everyone in the court, you know, essentially <laughs> in the courtroom, like the jury, the bailiffs, the judge. And then he's like, ah, oh, you should probably make it 28. You know, <laughs> uh, it was that amazing line and seeing him just again, that charisma just oozing from John Cryer. He's, he's portraying these characters, but watching all these pieces set up, how he manipulated, uh, you know, uh, the Kazdian government, how he manipulated, you know, uh, Red Daughter, all these pieces to get to where he needed to. The connection between him and Otis connection between him and, him and Eve, what he's doing to Lena behind the scenes, all of it playing out, and they did it in less than 60 minutes, and it never played incorrectly for a single second. It was truly one of the best written episodes I have ever seen. All right, yeah, it's, trust me, it, again, this is one of the reasons why it was so tough to choose this uh these these favorite moments because there's so many great ones and house of l i, I definitely share that with you is it's probably it, it's in top three uh, you know so uh, for sure however my favorite episode of the season uh i'm going actually for episode 22 the season finale the quest for peace this was to me such a superior wrap up of this entire season for multiple reasons. One, you have an episode titled The Quest for Peace, which let's be real is one of the worst Superman movies they have ever made. If not one of the worst comic book movies they have ever made, but also starred John Cryer. Uh, you know, so it was great kind of seeing them play with the title a little bit because one it, that's exactly what they were going for with this episode was they were trying to attain peace with everything that was going on but they were playing with it because again John Cryer was in that film uh, film version of that so i, I love the the kind of play on the title but not only that this is also the time that we find out and i we mentioned this earlier Everything that Lex, you know, when it comes to Lex's chess game that he was playing all season, it made me smile and almost cheer to know that with everything that was happening with bringing in Ben Lockwood and, you know, manipulating the president and bringing in Red Daughter as as a battle piece, you know, battle piece, uh, the fact that all of this was to get these enslaved aliens to build this satellite to destroy Argo. That to me, uh, he always felt like Lex, but that sealed the deal. Like that sealed the Lex character for me. The fact that all of this was still just an ultimate motivation to kill Superman. Yeah, <laughs> which was which was like, yep, that's Lex Luthor. Yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that was probably one of my reactions was watching that and finding that out. I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. It completely makes sense. And just, again, with a huge smile on my face, because as somebody who grew up reading Superman comics and, you know, with Lex Luthor and loving the movies and everything, I had already adopted John Cryer as my version of Lex. But when that was the ultimate motivation, yeah, 
I was like, okay, he. This is the episode that sealed the deal. He is my favorite Lex Luthor. Yeah, yeah. There's no question about it. I, he was he was really awesome. And you're right. That was an amazing episode. Again, this was really really hard to make some of these decisions and calls on these because again, this was one of the best seasons of an Arrowverse show that we've ever had. And it's it's really exciting to get to talk about it. It makes me a little bit bummed about we now have three more shows to talk about <laughs> no. that are not gonna they're not gonna hold a candle to this. We could have saved really this are. for last, but yeah. you know it is. But what it was it is. you know what? But you know what? It was really really awesome. If you, it, it was this was one of those things. If you haven't given this season a chance, I highly recommend. While it's still on Netflix, go watch Supergirl. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Uh, but I think that is probably going to wrap it up for uh, for the discussion of Supergirl and, and this annual. That's going to seal this year's annual. Well, I, I have an important question. What do you want to see next year? Oh, um, I'll tell you. I, I, I know we're getting it. I know we're getting Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, I want to see them. We So here's the thing. Like, we know when it comes to Supergirl – they they deal mainly with aliens. Um, they really haven't dealt with metahumans with the exception of when they do crossovers. When Crisis on Infinite Earths happens and these Earths are merged, which we assume is most likely going to happen, Supergirl, and that Earth is going to become part of the same Earth as everybody else. I want to seal, I want to see, and I'm very interested to see how it's going to play out, the fact that now they're going to have to deal with metahumans. And I want to see how they're going to have to adapt to that. Because they're going to bring in, they're going to have to bring in all new characters uh, or, or all new situations now where they're not going, they're so used to dealing with aliens. The DEO is, is adapted to deal with aliens. They're going to have to change their procedures now and come up with new technologies and they'll most likely work with Star Labs and such to do this. But now they're going to have to work against metahumans. And I want to see how that plays out. Yeah, I would say you're right. It's probably a nine out of ten odds is that they're they're going to they're going to end up having to, you know, they're, they're going to merge the Earths and it's going to allow them to kind of deal with a whole new threats. And again, it, it's going to change midseason and it's going to be the big question is, you know, how people's minds and memories are going to happen and how they're going to work. Are people going to be completely different when the Earths merge? Or are they going to be the same people we've always known and love? This is essentially a reset point, and they can do anything that they want because you have now multiple people from multiple universes um, kind of collide and how they choose to go about that. It's going to be interesting. It's it, going to be very interesting. And I think what's going to be even more interesting, too, is the more I think about it, you know, we got a season this season where we were introduced to the Big Bad in Episode 1, uh, I think if that happens again and we're introduced to a season in to a big bad in episode one, you know, with the use of maybe Leviathan or even Lena Luther, I think they're I think they're good points to go with when it comes to this, because not only are the heroes going to have to adapt to a new world, but it's going to be interesting to see how the villains adapt to a new world and new universe as well and to see what kind of things they pull from it to use to their advantage. Yeah, because we are going to have, you know, the, the season doesn't start with crisis. The crisis is going to be a little ways in probably by like episodes nine or ten, which is usually where the, the, the crossover falls. So it's going to be interesting how to see how they set up the story and to where they're going to leave it so that when we are come so that when we come back after a crisis and post crisis and the worlds are merged where they can go with the story they've already started. 
yeah no i'm right there with you I, i'm looking forward to seeing how that's all gonna play i'm, I'm i think it's gonna be kind of cool yeah um yeah uh, for me for me i again I, I still truly 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 believe we're gonna see uh, a weird twist with brainiac um because why introduce a major plot thread like him regaining all of his memories of his ancestors in the last two episodes to do nothing with it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, I, um, and my prediction on that is I think that's where we're going to see Wynn play in. I do. I do, too. But again, they have an opportunity to truly do something potentially interesting and in-depth and have essentially bring Brainiac in as a villain if they wanted to. Could you see where, Lena and Brainy? And that's that's what I want to see, actually. That's okay. really what I want to see. Because here's the thing. You could still have Jesse Rath play Brainiac 5 and, he, you know, Brainiac's consciousness, he into a computer and that part of his co- copies himself into something else and you have Brainiac versus Brainiac 5. You could truly have something like that happen. You know, it, it, you could have so many options with this and him be kind of becoming a collector and destroyer of worlds. Why not build up something like that uh, and truly have the ability to do it? Because again, we now know he remembers every single thing. And watching him have the ability to really play that up as an actor and go through that struggle could be really awesome and i really hope we do get a chance to see at least some of that next year so yeah that that would be interesting yeah you, you, uh, it would be interesting to see if lena could find a way to to copy brainy you're right yeah and you know what ultimately um I, it's time for the blue and gold guardian arc, yes guys. Please. let's do it let's do it and let's i'm it. i'm still waiting I, i'm still waiting for jeremiah danvers to be the eradicator i'm just saying well, I'm just waiting to see him kind of show back up. He's kind of been forgotten for a little while now, a couple seasons. So, but not gone. Yeah, but apparently forgotten. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, well, um, so yeah, it's been a good two year, two seasons. So it's it's time to bring him back, and let's. I think it's time to to close out that story. So agreed. Uh cool. So, uh, I'm actually very pleased with that annual. I think that was that came across really well, and. I'm really hoping yet fearing at the same time that the next three are not going to, are going to be as easy. So, yeah. but we'll see. Uh, with that being Least said... favorite episode of Arrow. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be the complete opposite because where it was hard for us to find our least favorite episode of Supergirl, it's going to be... Now, actually, I already know what my favorite episode of Arrow oh, is. Oh, yeah. That's not even a question. I think you and me both probably have the same we, one. We already know we're going to share that one. So. And I think we both have the exact same runner-up, too. So it's fine. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> uh, but with that being said, uh, we'll put a wrap on Supergirl Annual number four. Let's go into the DC News. All right, I don't even have any news stories pulled up. I'll just put it that way because, man, oh, man, we really don't have much to talk about this week. Uh, but I can pretty much tell you right off the bat. Uh, so if you are excited about San Diego Comic-Con, temper that excitement, folks. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we do know Warner Brothers is not going to be at Hall H this year. Uh, they actually explained why. They, they pretty much stated with all the films that are currently in the work, uh, you know, they've got Joker coming up. They have Birds of Prey and ultimately Wonder Woman uh, 1984. So they said because of where uh, Wonder Woman is in production, they're not really going to have much to show, which is why they didn't want to bring that there. It sounds like they're going to be doing something a little bit different for how they're doing the rollout for Joker because they did say it's, 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 it is an R-rated film that's got a little bit more horror elements that they're actually going to be showing that at a specific horror convention is the way that Todd Phillips is going to unveil that a little bit more in detail. So that's why we're also going to see that. And Birds of Prey is still under a lot of uh, intense shooting right now. They haven't done any of the effects works yet, and they said based on pretty much the current lineup and schedule that it's just nothing is in the positions of where they want to show it, 
while they're still in process of going through and doing edits. And Todd Phillips apparently already had this big plan for on the way that they were going to show off Joker. So makes a lot of sense. And they said, you know, trust. And they did come back and say, don't worry. 2020 at San Diego Comic-Con is going to be a very, very big year for Warner Brothers in DC. So it sounds like they're kind of taking a year off. It sounds very similar in vain to what Sony's doing right now with E3, which is kicking off in full kind of today. Um, it sounds like it's a very similar thing where they're like, hey, we're taking a year because we've got some things in the irons in the fire uh, and we're really excited to talk about them, but it's just not time yet. So quite okay. Well, I mean, here's and here's my question, too. Um, you know, we know that Warner Brothers is not going to be there, so there's not going to be anything DC. But we also know that Disney's not going to be there this year, which is really huge because, you well, know. Well, Disney wasn't there last year. Um, you know, D3 has become a bigger thing for them. They get to control the messaging of all of the things they're doing. And Disney is so big. Disney is bigger than Comic-Con at this point, really. It's really what it boils down to. Okay. All right. Makes sense. I was going to say, think- do we think this could be potentially lead to you know, Hall H wrapping up and, and being as big as it is. But if DC is planning on coming back to Hall H next year, then it's not. Well, you know what? It's a big question. I think that's happening. It's something that's happening with E3 this year, too. It's is the importance of getting your messaging to people about going, doing it at a convention now, um, because it doesn't need to be. Uh, you have other ways to get to direct to consumers, which is why Nintendo doesn't have a big press conference at E3. It costs them millions and millions and millions of dollars to be there and to do that when they could just make a video on YouTube and get it out, the same message to everybody immediately. So it's lessening the the need for these big bombastic Hall H panels where they have the actors all lined up going through their pieces bit by bit and saying, this is why we're here. Uh, I mean, th- this doesn't mean CW is not going to be there potentially to bring like Flash. And, oh, that's you know, true. Tomorrow and all these things here. But Warner Brothers is the movie studio is choosing not to be there. So there's still could be big things come from it. But I think if you're you're at waiting for these big slates of tentpole films, I, maybe that is going to be something that's going to change. But I think its importance is still going to exist in the world of pop culture. I think it's just going to change a little bit, same way that E3 is. E3 is going to turn into more of a consumer show, kind of like a PAX. They're not, you're not going to see probably next year or the year after that these big, huge press conferences the way that we have. You know, Activision and EA, PlayStation, all of these guys have left left that show. Uh, for completely very similar reasons. Uh, there's no need to dump that kind of money into this if you don't really have things you want to talk about right now. It's just it's the sake of argument of doing it. It doesn't really mean much. So I think you could see a big transition for San Diego Comic-Con and shows like E3 going into 2020. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Uh, so the last big story is a story that really bummed us out. So uh, last week we found out it was uh, pretty much, uh, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday maybe, I believe, where we found out that officially, uh, and it kind of broke through bloody disgusting, that Swamp Thing has been canceled, uh, which has now been confirmed by pretty much every yeah. single source. Uh, and very un unceremoniously done too uh without a clear-cut reason why um warner brothers uh, time warner at&t all the people involved in that and the dc universe streaming service have done a craptastic job of <laughs> explaining why this is happening uh and still continuing to hardcore promote hey make sure you don't miss out on the newest episode of swap thing coming out this week and i'm like thanks guys uh, you're, you're really piquing my involvement after one episode that everybody gave rave reviews and us included, um, and canceling it. 
before even episode two aired. I, I, you think they would have been wise to hold that information until the end of the season. Um, I think a lot of people that were really excited about the, the future of the DC Universe streaming service really were shooken up, myself included. I actually canceled my subscription um, because there are other ways to watch things, even though I really don't advocate a lot of that. You know, it's still... Um, if you're not going to put faith in your product, your consumers are not going to have faith in you. And that's a big problem. And I think uh, you, you know, there's been a lot of conflicting rumors uh, right now about why the show was canceled. We knew originally a little while back the show was potentially in some danger because there was went from 13 episodes to 10. And then we hear about the cancellation right after the premiere of episode one. Um, and it sounds like it could be a mixture of some things that went on behind the scenes between the cost of, of production in North Carolina. Uh, it sounds like there were some rumors uh, North Carolina government kind of came out and, and argued against this, which doesn't mean this is actually truth. This is could have just be them kind of realizing, yep, there was a clerical error and we don't want to take the blame for it. But apparently there was a large tax incentive for them to shoot in North Carolina which was going to kind of help cut down the cost of production dramatically. And that, that, um, that rebate never came, came in because of some issues with filing. Um, so it sounds like that money is not coming in. So the cost of production went through the roof, which is probably why production just stopped. They probably found out that this happened and they're like, wait a second, we are well over budget. We can't afford to do this. We need to find a way to rewrite this. We need to find a way to end this, uh, which is, is a massive shame. But it could have, again, been massive creative differences with them saying, hey, we're doing this hardcore R-rated kind of body horror show that Time Warner and maybe was really uncomfortable with. They didn't want that to be something that was in their legacy right now with this uh, property. Uh, Then they got cold feet and pulled the plug. It could be any of these reasons. We don't know, and I don't think we're going to find out. I think this is going to remain a mystery and stay this way probably permanently, which is a shame. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it was a it was a property that's really exciting, and we still have yet to hear any anything about a season two of Doom Patrol at this point in time, uh, which makes people really leery and we're, like you know a little bit worried. We you know we know we have Harley Quinn coming soon. We've got the continuation of Young Justice, Star Girl, Star Girl coming up. Uh, we know Titan season two is in the middle of filming. So, um, but I'm wondering is once those properties are done, are we going to see a wrap up of this and wrap up of at least the entertainment side of DC Universe's subscription service in the U.S. Uh, I think the comic side is in the clear and it's going to be safe and it's going to be like Marvel Unlimited. They're going to break it out, maybe lower the price point just a little bit uh, and maybe give you a little bit more incentives to be there for comics, but I would not be surprised that whatever the big winners are here may get moved over to the Warner Brothers streaming service that's been in the works for some time because splitting to two different services does not make a lot of sense. And we said that a while ago. Right. And one of the other things they're struggling with, and if you're a subscriber of D- DC Universe, the one thing that a lot of us hated seeing when you logged in that service is watch it now before it's gone would be a category. And that would be like Superman, the movie, Batman, you know, all these things that you're like, whoa, why are why are these leaving the service? They shouldn't be. They should. You should be adding to these things instead of removing these large chunks of content month over month over month because of contracts. If you have contract problems, you shouldn't have launched the service yeah. to do these things. That's It was a really mistaken move that I think happened here. And it was a lot of there's a lot of mismanagement of the service right now. I think they're doing an amazing job on the comic side. But even the search, search functions on the apps, the limited availability of where the apps can be are a big problem on that service. And I think it's something that they didn't truly think through. 
I think the the content that they're creating for the service has been great, and I think that again the, the love that they're doing with the comics has been amazing. But there's a lot of problems with the service, and now Swamp Thing adds such a heavy layer of what is their commitment to their subscribers. And I think if you're a subscriber right now and you're listening to us talk about this, I highly recommend you really, really think twice about where you're going to fall and maybe consider keeping your ears close to the ground. Pay attention to um, our Facebook page, you know, DC, uh, you know, facebook.com slash DC primetime. We're going to make sure to stay on top of the news as it comes in. But we can tell you there are a lot of rumors right now, which is why we haven't posted it. Because again, purely rumor yeah. that, that that service is in some serious trouble. So, um, if you're about to get renewed and you're concerned, it might be time to log into your account. Maybe, maybe cancel for the time being. Doesn't mean you can't come back to it if you find out things are fine. But if you're a little worried right now, there's there's good reason to be. So. Yeah, or I mean, at the very least, I know some people signed up for annual subscriptions, um, and you're you're approaching that annual renewal. Um, possibly just switch to monthly for the time being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not cancel altogether, but don't renew for another full year uh, because we don't want to see people get you know lose money because of it. Uh, you know, switch but, to the, switch to the monthly and and go from there. Go month to month it, to see where yeah, the service. Goes. If you're there for the comics and you're loving it, man, stay with oh, it. Yeah. But if you're there, if you're there for content for video, that's where we would say the your concern should be valid. Um, so something to really think about. But again, we hope we we hope for the future of this because again. Uh, Titans had a lot of really awesome DNA all over it, and I think the second season is going to resolve a lot of the problems we had with season one. Uh, Doom Patrol still uh, we're about to talk about in just a couple of weeks, and it was one of the best things I've ever seen. And the first episode of Swamp Thing was truly out- outstanding, and we still have to talk about Young Justice as well. So and I, the and content I heard, they're giving you is great. And I heard episode two of Swamp Thing was even better. Yeah, so um, it's a shame. It's a real shame to hear about Swamp Thing, especially for the writers and the actors on that show and the crew. Uh, because I think they delivered uh, something truly wonderful, and it was a beautiful homage to Alan Moore. Uh, and I, I really am excited to still finish that season, uh, but it's really disappointing knowing already going into season two that we're not going to get a continuation of it. It makes me wonder if they're going to find a way to re-edit episode 10 so that they it doesn't leave us with a cliffhanger. Uh, it, well, I mean, I have a feeling they probably already knew. Um, oh, I, I think okay. once episode 10 was was being deemed the finale, I think that crew knew. I think that's the reason why we saw, um, I forget which actress was the one that reached out. I think it was, Vir- wasn't it Virginia Madsen? It was Virginia yeah. Madsen. When she was kind of like, I'm kind of heartbroken for everybody on this pro- this project. I think they knew that they, this was done. Um, I'm pretty sure they knew this was done. Uh, that's a shame. Um, you, don't, you don't make a statement like that because the episode count got cut down three episodes. You, you make it because you know the show's done. Yeah. You know. Okay. It makes sense. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure that they they finished this, and hopefully it still has a great ending where it can is, can be these great ten episodes that stand alone. It's kind of like if Doom Patrol doesn't get picked up, which we'd be bummed. It ended in a really great place. Well, but like you said, hopefully it finds if if the DC universe does go under, uh, hopefully Doom Patrol finds a new home under Warner Brothers streaming service. Right. And who's to say that even a company like um, you know Netflix can't come in and help pick up things because Lucifer is a Warner Brothers. You know, property. You know, it's it, they can they can do a lot of things and keep things alive. So there's avenues still. It's just a question of how it's all going to play. Which, speaking of, I don't know if that's one of your news stories, but Lucifer got picked up for a fifth and final season on Netflix, which uh, I think is great. I still have to watch this season four, but I've loved. I love Lucifer. I can't wait to yeah. go into and, and watch it. Uh, 
Yeah, and I guess the only other really thing I can say is uh, I can officially state that Rocksteady has made a comment that they are 100% not at E3. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking at the E3 schedule earlier. For some reason, it, E3 has its dates listed as like the 11th through the 13th. But yes, because that is actually E3. That's 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 the show floor opening all this stuff. The press conferences are just press conferences. They really don't have anything to do with E3. They are just they are the kickoff. But E3 itself does not start until Thursday. Okay, but yeah, I know most of you are, have the, these press conferences are already going to have aired by the time you're hearing this. Uh, but yeah, I know like Microsoft, Bethesda, Ubisoft, Square Enix. Uh, they're all today. So uh, oh, no, Square well, Enix no. and uh, Square Enix and Ubisoft are Monday. Yeah, and then um, Tuesday we have Nintendo. The only ones that are today is we Bethesda have... Bethesda um, and Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft kicks it off at 4 o'clock Eastern time today. Uh, sounds like it's two hours long, which I'm really excited about. Um, and it sounds like we are going to see Scarlet, which is the new system. Ooh, so nice. Um, so really excited about that. And yeah, curious to see how all that's going to play. I don't know how much they're going to show off, but... Um, I expect Microsoft is going to go big because they don't, they're not going up against Sony this year, and I think they're going to try to take the spotlight as best as they can. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we find out in about a month Sony's got something cooking. Because, uh, and again... They've already been dropping a lot in the last couple of months. So I think this is going to be really interesting. And even um, Todd Howard over at Bethesda, uh, the creator of things like uh, the Elder Scrolls series, and he's been in the games industry for a very, very long time, uh, came out actually last week and honestly said, he said, uh, he's like, I can say for the very first time ever, that both Microsoft and Sony are both doing great, great things, and they're both about to kick off, I think, what's going to be the best consoles that they've both ever released, <sighs> which is really exciting to hear. It's really so, exciting, but it also means, uh, like, I'm already seeing, like, $1,000 drained from my bank account. Yeah, but you know what, though? <laughs> like, here's the thing. <laughs> they both have to tr- they have to deliver on the most important thing on both sides, games. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you know what? This is... we. I think, again, we're, we're going to see such a big major shift at this time around. And the Project X Cloud, is, I think, is going to be a big thing you're going to hear talked about. If you haven't already heard it already, which is Microsoft's uh, streaming uh, game system that they're going to be talking about very soon. Well, because um, I know they already have – I know we're getting off topic. But I, like, that's they okay. already have like Game Pass, and I know they're introducing Game Pass for PC. Yes, uh, and then they're going to have basically Xbox Live Ultimate. Uh, which is essentially it's going to fold in your Xbox Live account, Game Pass, and Game Pass PC all together under one cost. The question is what that's going to break down to monthly. Well, I know Game, uh, Game Pass. Don't know. Game Pass is nine ninety nine. Game Pass PC right. they've already announced is going to be four ninety nine. Yes. Um, so I, I could see it maybe being like a twenty five dollar a month price point for, which for is, everything. Which is too high. You think? I can tell you, no one's going to pay $25. Actually, no. That is too high. I, I think a nineteen ninety nine price point would actually be pretty decent because you figure uh, Microsoft, you figure Game Pass is $9.99, so Game Pass is 10 PC is 5 Xbox Live is 10 if you go monthly. Uh, I, I could see maybe like a, like a $17.99 price point would be a good price point for all. Um, I don't think you're going to see a monthly thing for it. I think you're going to have an annual annual subscription cost. Okay. Um, I could say if they say hey, it's ninety nine ninety nine a year, you get Game Pass, Xbox Live uh, Gold, and Game Pass PC for a hundred dollars a year. If they do that, I think they've got to win. Uh, if they did that, I would do it. I would too. I would too. Because I, I already they, I, would... I already subscribed to Xbox Live and Game Pass, so I do too. Um, and I'm I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with it. I'm really excited to see what Scarlet's going to bring to the table. Uh, but I really think PS5 and whatever the new um, Xbox is, and again, 
uh, in plural, because there are two, if you are un- unfamiliar with it, there are two Xboxes coming. Uh, there is, essentially, they're going to be launching uh, whatever the new system is, a scaled-down version, and then an advanced version of the system. So um, it's the question of how that's going to come out. So Codenames Lockhart and Codenames Scarlet. So we shall see. But um, yeah, if you guys are listening to this, they've already been announced. Yeah, you uh, already know. It's going to be cool, though. I'm really, really excited. Uh, you know, I think if the other, if we ever do another different podcast that's something different, we'd probably be talking video games. Bet, yeah, so. that'd be a lot of fun, too. Because I've actually be been it. getting back and playing a bunch of games I've been meaning to play for a while. Um, I just finished uh, Saints Row 4 which was actually a lot of fun. There's so many goofy things, dude, just from the soundtrack of like, what is love by Hathaway and like safety dance and dude, like Bismarcky, just a friend, like the soundtrack alone was a blast, but you oh, know, God, yeah, that game is but dumb and stupid like, and wonderful. Voice cast of like Troy Baker and, and Terry Crews and uh, Daniel Day Kim. Keith, like it's fantastic. Keith David. Keith, yeah. <laughs> it, Keith David playing Keith David is just fantastic. Oh, I know. But, Another a game I've never played before that I actually just got because Xbox actually all the game makers usually do big sales around um, E3. Uh, Xbox has uh, Borderlands: The Handsome Collection for nine dollars. Why did you buy that? It's free on PlayStation right now. Not Borderlands Two. No, The Handsome Collection. The Handsome Collection is Borderlands: The Pre-Sequel and Borderlands Two, and it's the free game on PlayStation. Well, but Plus. I also don't have PlayStation Plus. So I, it, it would have cost me more to sign up for PlayStation Plus and get it for free than to just pay the nine dollars to get it through Xbox. I did not know that you were not on Plus now. No, uh, I only did it your... for a short period of time. Oh wow! So, um, well, because I play for I pay for Game Pass. I didn't want to pay for two at the same time uh, because I'm really only on one console more than the other. So oh, fair. Um, that makes sense. So I, but I've never played a Borderlands game before. So I'm getting ready to jump into Borderlands 2, uh-huh. which is going to prove interesting. Well, they're about to release new DLC for it to prep for Borderlands 3. Oh, nice. So, okay, so I got it uh, Which good is time. funny because, because that is an old-ass game. So I don't so. Yeah, but I hear it's still a lot of fun. It is. It is. So, uh, All right, recommendations and cheap plugs, and then we can get out of here. Uh, recommendations from me, obviously, if you haven't already – Uh, Or if you want to, again, if you're listening to this annual, you've probably already watched it. So I I would recommend Supergirl Season 4. Otherwise, why are you listening to this episode of the podcast? But if you're not, if you're just listening to get our opinion on Supergirl as to whether or not you should watch it, you should know at this point, go and watch Season 4 of Supergirl. Even if you've never seen it, but Seasons 1 through 3. It's it's worth it. Uh, My other recommendation, and I might be stealing this from you, Rob, but only because we talked about it last night. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to watch it, it's going to be coming to VOD relatively soon. Detective Pikachu. Yeah, it was super fun. I know you just just watched it. So, Uh, yeah, it's coming to VOD relatively early. I did not expect it that soon. But, hey, you know, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a really fun, really awesome movie. And I dare I say it, best video game movie of all time. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And that's not a lie. Like I said, Mortal Kombat's a stupid, guilty pleasure. But again. Guilty pleasure, and also doesn't mean it's a good movie. That's true. Detective Pikachu actually was a good movie. Yes. So, uh, what about you? Any recommendations? Um, for me, I'm actually going to say just uh, just just take this week, enjoy some E3 if you're a gamer, uh, because uh, you know what, this always it's always fun and exciting. Again, it's going to be a weird one this year because again, so many major conferences that are not happening, uh, and it's it's always fun to watch. You know, the big three kind of duke it out, but 
Uh, yeah, it's super, super weird E3, but still enjoy it. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of cool games. I highly, highly expect we're going to see uh, the new Fable tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you think so. we'll see any uh, any DC content over the course of this week? Um, I would not be... I would be surprised if we do, but if we do, I think we're going to see WB Montreal's game, which is going to be the Batman Court of Owls game. Uh, that's been long rumored uh, because it's not Rocksteady proper. It's uh, just, again, WB. Um, but I think I think if we see anything, it's going to be that. Um, but yeah, I, my, my real actual hope, and it's, again, it's a long shot, is I want to see that Harry Potter um, uh, game that got leaked back in October. Yeah. yeah. From Warner Brothers. So, so I, I get more and more into E3 every year, so I know... Uh, I will my 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 TV and my computer for the most part today as I'm editing this episode of the podcast that you're listening to now. Uh, just know that as you are listening to this, I was most likely editing it to E3 on at the same time because <laughs> that's what I'll be doing later on this afternoon. So, uh, cool. Cheap plugs. And then we can get out of here. Uh, as always, you can catch this podcast as well as all other podcasts as part of the next level podcast network, next level, uh, the next level network.com, facebook.com slash the next level network. And of course the Facebook page for this podcast, which is facebook.com slash DC primetime. And as for me, you can always find me over at the next level network.com through the capping crew cast of pods. Our next episode, I got a schedule. <laughs> so, um, it's, I, it's, it's, Gotta be a little late, but it'll be out still this month. Uh, that'll be body positivity and fandom, and then I believe we're talking about theme parks, which is really good timing because Galaxy's Edge just uh, just kicked off. Yeah, so, we know actually our buddy Brian, Brian Glein. Brian Glein, yeah, was there. Yeah, yeah, and me and him actually talked last week, and he was telling me all about it. Yeah, so, super cool. I was looking so. and checking out like his following his pictures and stuff. So it's it's. I'd be interesting. He he might be somebody. I don't know if you can do call-ins on your through your podcast, but uh, even if he, you got him to record something about his experience there to play it, I'm think I'm thinking about having him do that and give us a review of Galaxy's yeah, Edge. Yeah, that'd so, be really fun. Uh, yeah, so really looking forward to talking about the next couple episodes soon. Uh, so yeah, still lots of good content coming at you for the rest of the year. Uh, but also just a reminder, big special thanks to our good friend, George Shaw, who you didn't hear this week, but I still <laughs> want to give a nice plug out to him because I just realized this is annual week. Yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, still, we still love George. Uh, so make sure to head over to George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com to check out his tunes. You hear them usually on our show, uh, but make sure to go out and uh, send your support. But also, I have memory search correctly, is it intense? Uh, is, uh, yeah, it's it's a little different um, the way it's spelled. Um but I, yes. I, I'll tell you actually in one second because I'm actually pulling okay. it up. Well, yeah, I mean, it's again, he's just one of those other great artists that we, we've stumbled across in our in our quest for tunes as we made this podcast. And when we heard his music, man, oh, man, uh, just just a freaking awesome job. There's a couple other ones out there, too, that I would love to be able to kind of throw into the mix every once in a while. But, um, yeah, his uh, his his red distance are, are truly just fantastic. And that's one of the things I always love when I get a chance to go back and listen to our episodes, especially around the annuals, is being able to to hear those new openings. So. Yeah, uh, but his YouTube page uh, is uh, youtube.com slash N-S-T-E-N-S-1117 is where you can go. And he, dude, he does a lot of awesome covers, like rock covers with guitar and everything, as you heard at the beginning of this and every annual that we do. So, uh, yeah, big shout out to him for allowing us to use his music for, for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So... But I think that's it. I think that's going to wrap it up for this annual. Next week, uh, we are going to jump into, what do you think, Legends of Tomorrow? Or, uh, or do you want to knock out Arrow next week? 
Because <laughs> I, I think if we do Arrow and Flash and then Legends, we're kind of still going out on a high. Okay, I think I think that works. I think we could do that. Okay. Or do you want to do Flash, Arrow, Legends? Mm. Yeah, let's do that. Instead. Okay. Let's do Flash, Arrow, Legends. Okay, so next week will be our Flash annual. We'll do Flash... Um, uh, annual number five for season five. So we'll do Flash next week. Uh, the week after that, we'll do Arrow, and then we'll do we'll we'll wrap off our annuals with uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which I think I think that works. I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, uh, but as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for being a part of the DC Primetime family. Uh, but until next time, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>